Some of the world's top golfers can't make the COVID cut for the Tokyo Olympics. Hello again, this is the Tokyo Report. I'm Ed Hula. Welcome to this daily podcast on what's happening in Tokyo from around the rings. Joining us shortly will be a leading Brisbane, Australia sports presenter. He's in Tokyo to lend his voice to the Rugby Sevens Tournament. But as you can imagine, he's uh, a bit excited about the prospect of the 2032 Olympics coming to his hometown of Brisbane. First among the developments on this day two of competition in Tokyo, world number one golfer John Rahm has failed three consecutive COVID-19 tests and will not be able to compete for Spain and Tokyo. U.S. powerhouse Bryson DeChambeau is also out. He tested positive on his final screening for COVID just before he was planning to depart for Tokyo. Japanese Olympians could be helping to boost the mood of the country. In judo, the brother and sister, Uta and Hifumi Abe, both won gold in judo on Sunday. The first ever medal in skateboarding was won by Japanese skateboarder Yuto Horigomi in the men's event. Women's skateboarders make their debut on Monday. At the close of competition Sunday night in Tokyo, China tops the medal chart with 11. The U.S. is second with 10. All of those won on Sunday. Japan, Russia, Olympic Committee, and South Korea follow in the medal table. Well, last week the IOC declared Brisbane, Australia as the place for the 2032 Olympics. Our guest on today's Tokyo Report is among those who are excited about the prospect. Brisbane radio presenter David Luttrell. He is in Tokyo to provide commentary on the Rugby Sevens for the sports presentation at the stadium. David and I traveled through country Queensland 21 years ago covering the route of the Sydney Olympic torch relay for an Australian radio network. I spoke to him last night about his experiences so far in Tokyo and the coming of the Brisbane Olympics. I honestly think, Ed, and the, the, as you know, the first thing that people walk at uh, with an Olympic bid, and particularly for the, the taxpayers of a certain area, as obviously is the case here in Tokyo and same with in Brisbane, is, is, it, is that this is going to cost us billions of dollars. It's going to put us all in massive debt and it's going to cost the taxpayers a lot of money. What are the benefits we get out of it? And understandably, you can you, in Tokyo right now, you can see that people on the streets are saying, look, we're paying for this and we can't even buy a ticket to go watch the damn thing. So it's you can understand where they're coming from. There's a, there's a lot of animosity. I think eight, around about 80% of people in a recent ballot here in Tokyo, a recent, um, a recent survey in Tokyo, are against the games even going ahead. Uh, and it's a games that is what, you know, the figure's better than me, Ed, but it's, it's costing 30, 40, 50 billion dollars to put these things on. Um, Brisbane, the numbers they're throwing out and have been able to throw out to the public there is that it's with the IOC's new sort of direction in using uh, existing infrastructure and relying on a less expensive bid process, obviously. So, you know, like things like that. I mean, the numbers they're throwing around is going to be like a five or six billion dollar games as opposed to a 30, 40 billion dollar game. So, in that regard, it's fairly easy to counter the negative criticism that's usually garnered from, a, from an Olympic bid process and then moving forward through that. 
And then above and beyond that, Ed, um, it's 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 one of, you know, as you know, like I've I've always been a, a massive fan of and a student of the Olympics, and probably which was um, in in two thousand, uh, the the pleasure of working with you, which <clears throat> tended to. I guess galvanized my, my passion for the Olympic Games. Uh, obviously, working with someone like you, so made you step up your game. It did. It did, Ed. Like uh, you, obviously, have been and are still very, very highly regarded within the Olympic movement, and uh, and uh, that's made me sort of a, a very keen student of, of what makes a, a great Olympics or what makes a great major sporting event. Uh, what are the different factors? And I truly believe that it's a tick in every box for Brisbane. Um, I believe that a city, a city of a certain size, makes a perfect major event—an Olympics or a World Athletics Championships or whatever it might be. Uh, I think the weather and obviously the the conditions for the athletes is is critical. I think the financial benefits uh, for for the for the for, for government and the, the senior the, the key stakeholders in the Olympics is obviously critical. Um, Obviously, the location and what it offers for potential tourism is, is a huge benefit. And I think in every single w- way, uh, Brisbane and southeast Queensland it, it ticks that box. I think it's I think it's the perfect storm that we've been almost gifted this Olympic Games in 2032. I genuinely think it'll make Brisbane one of the real outstanding places in the world to live over the next decade uh, because it's still a built it's still a city on the rise. And I think most people listening to your, your podcast, Ed, probably wouldn't even have a clue where it is as opposed to every other major Olympics we've had over the last 30 years. Like Sydney was already a destination. If you hadn't been to London by the Olympics, you probably wouldn't, weren't going to go because the Olympics were there. Rio kind of maybe exposed Rio as being probably maybe not the nicest place to, to go. You know what I mean? Like it's there's all these factors for these Olympic cities that have passed and it's not relevant to Brisbane because it's, it's a different size city. It's a, it's a city on the rise. It's a, it's temperature wise this time of year, absolutely perfect for the athletes. And it's a, it's a very accessible for, for a tourist to get there, to get around venues. Uh, I, I think it's honestly a, a tick in every box. T- talk a little bit now about, let's shift to Tokyo here to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, the experience of being in Tokyo here to wrap things up. Uh, uh, f- first of all, w- w- explain what you're doing here in, in, in Tokyo. It's, uh, uh, I guess uh, a job required because of the way the Olympics are unfolding without spectators. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a, I've been doing, I do radio as I was Back in the day when we worked together, Ed, I've sort of these days I do breakfast radio now, more sort of comedy, sort of based light entertainment stuff. But I've always had this call of the wild. I'm working major events, and since Sydney, uh, in the in the sports presentation realm, which is essentially um, everything you see and hear, big screen, music, medal ceremonies, all of that business, uh, an Australian company has sort of become the the world leader of that since the Sydney Olympics. I've been lucky enough to work with them for 20 years. So my job usually at a major event like a uh, a world championships or uh, an Olympic Games is the voice of the stadium. So I'll be on the big screen uh, prior to uh, uh, the the event starting on, on a particular day, and then you're the voice I'll hear commentating at the venue over the over the speakers if you're actually at the ground. And so obviously that's changed here because there's no people in the crowd. So initially I was thinking, well, what's the point of me being there? And we, when we arrived in Tokyo and started discussing what is our role. Um, we sort of realizing that 
there's a, a bit of a, a, a lull in the atmosphere, if you like, for broadcast now because you haven't got any crowds cheering. So they're actually um, filtering in some fake crowd noise, but you'll also be able to hear um, the music and the and obviously metal ceremonies. I'll be voicing that, those. So it's kind of a, a different role where we're complementing broadcast. And obviously for the athletes that are there, they, they need that atmosphere to be able to compete at a world-class level. So we create an atmosphere for the athletes uh, as well. So that's sort of my role. Uh, as for the Tokyo experience so far, and again, you're talking about a city of, I think it's 15 or 16 million people in Tokyo itself. Um, I would not say that there's been a, an overwhelming Olympic feeling about being in Tokyo, uh, other than the sort of very elongated sort of uh, airport procedure coming in. Once you did that, for instance, where I'm staying at the moment, which is quite close to Tokyo Stadium, where the rugby sevens and the football is being played at the Olympics, uh, you walk around the streets with a feeling that, honestly, the Olympics may not even be on. Uh, the, the actual venues themselves, obviously, uh, well, the security and the and the access points and the police and the and all those sorts of factors that you obviously usually uh, you know would would usually see at the Olympic Games are still there. There's no feeling of public a public presence amongst that uh, at the at the opening ceremony a couple of days ago. I was watching the I think it was the Reuters feed. Uh, they were just showing a live feed outside the the Olympic Stadium, when some probably a, a, about a thousand uh, fans, if you like, across the street from a heavily guarded police sort of uh, you know b- um, barricade, with their flags and trying to get a, a trying to get a piece of the spirit of the of the of the opening ceremony. But within an hour, that spirit had been overcome by about three thousand protesters uh, with signs saying, "This is a fraud, and why? Why are we doing this? It's costing us billions of dollars, and these games shouldn't be going ahead." So, the feeling here is a little benign, but also obviously a little bit negative as well. I guess would be the overwhelming feeling. What's it like being in a venue without the crowds? I mean, how much of an impact do you think the the absence of cheering spectators is going to have on 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 the way these games come across. I think it's it's a real challenge for for the host broadcasters um, if they're able to get that same energy that an Olympic Games usually usually brings. I think it'll depend on the sport, and I think as far as performances are concerned, it'll depend on the the athletes. I mean, the athletes themselves, Ed, as you know, have already been put through. Um, an incredibly difficult 18 months where uh, these these are athletes that their entire lives, and most of them aren't financially uh, secured by their sports, their entire lives are based on 100% uh, dedicating themselves to a training regime that pushes through a four-year cycle towards an Olympic Games. And last year, um, obviously those games – Initially, well, we didn't just didn't know that was going to happen. Eventually, it was obviously um, postponed for twelve months. But that affected athletes in two different ways. Some of them, some athletes, I think, will have actually benefited. We're already seeing a couple of athletes in the pool tonight in the first of the heats uh, that are just standing up that have benefited from the, the year off. Whereas I think other athletes were actually pushed into retirement, or young athletes that just lost the, the faith in the, the, the process of that it's ever going to manifest into something. So in that same way, 
uh, I think we're going to see results go either way here in 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 Tokyo. You're going to see some magnificent world beating performances from athletes, perhaps that we didn't expect, and we're going to see others drop away as well. Um, from a spectator perspective, it's a real challenge for the organisers. Ed, it's um, it's I mean, uh, through COVID, we saw some success stories. We saw the International Swimming League, which was performing in front of no crowds, and the broadcasters were able to focus the energy and the excitement and the lighting and things like that on the pool and away from the crowds and create atmosphere within that realm. Uh, and that's the challenge that um, that every venue faces here and every broadcaster faces here in Tokyo. Can they create an atmosphere which is worthy of an, of an Olympic Games or are we going to be watching a, a rather sort of dull performance area? And uh, it, that's yet to be seen. I don't know. So, so far, I was watching the softball the other day. I mean, you get a real sense of the, the closeness of it. You can hear, hear the the two teams sort of cheering as opposed to what you usually hear, a stadium cheering. But it's certainly a different energy and whether athletes can embrace that and make the most of it is, uh, will be interesting to see. Uh, what about the weather? Uh, the, the, the heat is building there. It could become – I've made the observation that two years ago how quaint it was for the biggest medical concern, safety concern about Tokyo was the heat. Yeah. And a lot has been done to mitigate against the, the heat. Um, and it's, and it's real. I mean, it's along with COVID, uh, apparently the, 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 the heat is going to become a, a safety factor here. How, how is it? How is it feeling? It's it's hot. It's 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 really hot. Ed, I was I've been out at the stadium. I had to walk across the um, Tokyo Stadium, uh, and the, the football games that were played there, the soccer games were played at night time. But the rugby sevens is played during the daytime. You've got you've got six. I've got six games on Monday during the daytime, and I walked across the field just on the, on the way to the lunchroom yesterday, and it's oppressive. It's like uh, 34, 35, 36 degrees Celsius which is what, 100 and, 110 or something Fahrenheit, um, probably even more than that, uh, and it's humid. And like the, one of the first things I do as an announcer during the uh, looking through my notes today in a rehearsal is you're looking at a list a mile long of safety things about keeping hydrated and et cetera. That's mostly just for the volunteers and the media that are there. But I think it's going to be one of those, like the marathon, for instance, obviously run during the day. It's going to be one of those marathons where it's just purely – survival you know like i don't think we're going to see any any super records broken in those endurance events and for the even the team sports whether you're play, you're out on the pitch for 30 or 40 minutes at a time i mean uh it's 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 super hot it's it's really really hot i mean the, the, one of the the key points as i said earlier about the 2032 bid for brisbane it'll, it'll be at exactly the same time but obviously in the middle of our winter it's the mildest conditions possible and so suitable for athletes and no, you would. I would not want to be competing in an endurance event of any type here in this heat. It is. Uh, it's hot, and it's going to be hotter next week. Uh, it's going to be a real challenge. And as far as the threat of of COVID goes, um, are people worried about uh, getting sick from the virus? Uh, it's 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 strange. It's a state of emergency here. Um, obviously, they made the step of um, no crowds at the stadiums. Uh, I mean the 
but personally, the politicians here are under a lot of pressure. There's suggestions that the games are only going ahead because of an election, an upcoming election, and the only way possible they'd be reinstated. The the, the key politicians involved is if, if the games go ahead. So that's one whole part of this pr- protest movement that's happening here at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just it's. It's it's it's. I think it's a, it's just tough. I mean, it's. Um, but I mean, the, the climate the climate thing itself is something that you knew about when they got the game. So I know it was pretty obvious that it was going to happen, really. But um, yeah, it's 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 something that has to be dealt with now. Unfortunately for the athletes. And 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 how about complying with all the uh, requirements, uh, the protocols that are outlined in the, in the playbook? Is it a big hassle? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we've essentially, as part of the workforce, been told we kind of. Uh, I mean, when you come in through the airport, you have to download an app, and then essentially uh, you're accessible twenty four seven about where you're traveling. That they have a they have a exact sort of like my job, for instance. Uh, my my key sort of positioning is from the hotel to Tokyo Stadium and back and forth every day. I have to check in every day, telling them I feel healthy, I don't feel sick. Uh, in theory, they can call you at any time and check where you are. I guess they can geomap you as well. And if they find out that you're out at a shopping mall or down in Rapongi partying on, on a Saturday night, that they can uh, also reprimand you for that. How heavily that, that's how heavily that's actually being policed is another matter. Um, around my hotel, the walks I've done around here just to get a meal or etc. There's certainly still, even though there's been a, a mandate put down quote unquote that alcohol for instance isn't to be served because it promotes a partying uh, a partying vibe which might obviously also then um, have an, um, an ill effect uh, on you know covid cases etc cetera, etc cetera. but for the most part uh, most bars and restaurants around town are still serving alcohol um, if you walk around the streets it certainly doesn't have a feel of, of a state of emergency about it put it that way um, I'd say probably tighter conditions in Australia right now, uh, particularly in the city in Melbourne than there is here. So, no, you don't get a feeling that people are that concerned. Uh, Most of the concern for me comes from my family at home, but walking around here, COVID certainly, until you get to a venue where you're having to, you know, get a temperature test and everything like that, in general terms, walking around, it's it's business as usual. Uh, Finally, you're you're, uh, going to the... uh Rugby sevens matches. Uh, what's that competition going to be like? Uh, who who do we like for uh, for for medal? It's going to be terrific, Ed. Um, rugby sevens again through that work I've done with that sports presentation company. I've ended up I've uh, done some MC work and being at uh, what is a a very fun tour to be on, Ed. I can see you and me just covering uh, rugby sevens for the rest of our working lives. You go to they go to Las Vegas, Twickenham, Dubai. They have one usually in Sydney or Adelaide in Australia. Now there's one in Hawaii, I believe. They go to New Zealand. They play in Christchurch. It's a fun tour to be on, um, and that's the IRB rugby sevens tournament that goes around the world. And obviously, the Olympics is is very similar to that. So it's a fun atmosphere. Usually, when there's crowds there. Uh, you get one whole grandstand that just dresses up in fancy dress, very much up your alley. Um, I can see you maybe in the Kathy Freeman bodysuit from 2000, in fact. 
Yeah, with a with a Kathy Freeman suit. Yeah, <laughs> but it's usually a very fun vibe, and it's fast running. She can't fit into it anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> and the great thing is, um, women's rugby sevens, uh, I think, officially became an Olympic sport four years ago in Rio. Australia took out the uh, gold medal there. Uh, New Zealand's very strong. Uh, Fiji's very strong. They've always been traditionally the real. Um, showman, if you like, of rugby sevens. But in recent years, teams like Kenya have surprisingly stepped up in, in rugby sevens. Uh, Ireland, who for some reason have never really had a men's team, they're in the, uh, the, the top 12 teams that, uh, of the men that will be competing here in, um, in, in Tokyo. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really fun vibe. If, if you've, even if you're not a rugby fan, if you get a chance uh, through wherever, you are, wherever you're living to check out the – Rugby sevens, it's fast, seven-minute halves, so the game only goes 15 minutes, and then we move on to another game. So it's um, it's a really fun way to get a – and there's plenty, of, there's plenty of scoring, tries, and things like that. It's, it's fast-flowing it's fast flowing and great athleticism, and the female game has come along in leaps and bounds. It's truly world-class. You'll see some great athletes uh, in action at the Rugby Sevens. So I strongly recommend, if you haven't had a look, make sure you check it out and have a look at the Rugby Sevens here in Tokyo. Australian radio presenter David Lutterell speaking with us from his hotel in Tokyo, where he's part of the sports presentation team at the Rugby Sevens Tournament. That tournament, by the way, Rugby Sevens, starts July 26th and runs through July 31st. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ed Hula. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tokyo Report from Around the Rings.